G'day, Sean and Anthony here. Uh, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Tell us what you really think. We're just going to cover off on reviews of different uh, financial services, apps, technology, articles, services, and products. We think there's a lot of uh, a lot of bullshit marketing out there at the moment, and the reality is we can see through a lot of it. We deal with these products on a daily basis with our clients, although this is going to be completely unbiased and completely unsponsored. It's just our general opinions based on our financial experience. We think we can add a lot of value and you can do a lot of research through this podcast on different things that you're considering to help you and your financial well-being. We hope you enjoy. Anthony, welcome back again. Thank you, Sean. Uh, this week we're super lucky. We've got a very dear friend of ours who's come to join us for the podcast. Uh, a man that really doesn't need an introduction, but we're going to give it to you anyway, just because we like the man so much. Um, he was the uh, winner of the first Australian Apprentice. He was, uh, well, he's still currently the head of business development at the Entourage, which is Australia's leading entrepreneur development centre, uh, based out of Sydney, operating now internationally. Yep. Um, sits on the board of uh, Project Gen Z, which we'll speak about a little bit more in this podcast. And then also sits on the board of Seed Foundation. Andrew Morello, welcome. Great to be here, Shawnee, in Alabakov. We're Thanks, here, mate. live and uninterrupted from downtown South Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. He's on. He's on. That's Come all on. we want. He's always on, and he's looking. Uh, he's looking super dapper today. I got dressed for you guys. He did. I did. I did thirty-four days straight in board shorts. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and we, sure, we saw you in some of those board shorts last time. They're yeah, bright. They they're are colourful. Bright. They're good. Uh, they're called Veloquins from Belgium. Oh, they wow. were bought at number one Rodeo Drive after I went to Coachella a couple of years ago. <laughs> That's right up your alley. Yeah, it was. It was fantastic. Legendary. Uh, mate, thanks for coming in. Obviously, uh, we, uh, we we tried to uh, attempt this a couple of weeks ago. We had a, we had an extremely loud jackhammer interrupt us probably every five minutes. So we had to probably uh, <laughs> we had to put a cork in it then. But we're back here. So this is take two, guys. This is, is take two. And bigger and better. Yeah, Correct. bigger and better. Um, mate, I guess everyone wants to hear a little bit about your story, and we always start with yeah. um, where. How old were you when you started your property career? Look, the property career I started at 18 um, with uh, Adrian Butera you know, out in Compton and Green in Williamstown. But um, prior to that, I was lucky um, that I'd grown up in sort of an entrepreneurial family. Uh, I grew up and I actually went there today, ironically. I hadn't been for quite a while. The corner of Pascoval Road and Buckley Street in Mooney Ponds, um, Victoria, uh, Australia, for those who might be listening in internationally. Um, this is my dad's service station. So I, I started there sort of for five bucks a day when I was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And I reckon the things I learned there Shawnee were the principles and the core values that I've taken on in uh, the rest of the business ventures that I've had and also the way I've lived my life my father taught me a lot of what to do and what not to do he was a really hard worker and and um, he, you know he and my uncles just you know showed me great work ethic but at the same time uh, and as well giving everyone an opportunity my father always said to me it's not uh, the size of your bank balance or how many cars you've got in the garage or how many houses you've got but rather the opportunities that you give people people and um, my father always employed new Australians and it's something I've uh, tried to engage in and, and try and give people opportunities and uh, so, so I was lucky. I was lucky to start, see entrepreneurialism at, at first hand at a very young age and then obviously started um, my first business at 15 with a government grant running uh, youth uh, drug and alcohol free events 
and then um, got into the property game when I was 18 off the back of being heavily exposed to it via my, my brother and father. So I was very, very lucky to be surrounded by some great mentors that have set me in good stead and take those sort of core vision, mission and values that I got from a young age and then implement them into uh, into my business, professional and personal career. Yeah. Um, is that petrol station? You said it was still going, is it? Today? It is still there. It I was there, there today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pump some petrol <laughs> into my dad's car for him. So, you know, I'm, I, I don't Does know. Do you get it. free petrol? I don't. I do not get free <laughs> petrol. It's, uh, it's a million dollar question I've always wondered. I see, and I always go to my dad, if you were a baker, I'd get free bread. He's yeah. like, that's not how it works. So. <laughs> So yeah, so don't don't get free petrol, but um, uh, the lessons I got have been absolutely uh, priceless so yeah. from that service station. So the um, the apprentice, yes. So how did you get into that? Was it an application process that you had to go through, and how did that all unfold? Yeah, ironically, there was um, in, in later. I really didn't know the detail of it until. I was on the show and I'd won it. Then you start sort of researching how big of a pool it was. So they reckon they had about 10,000 applicants. Um, and if I don't mention him and then if I, he listens to this later, which he probably will, Spiro Vassiliadis, um, who's in uh, real estate in Melbourne too. Um, he's one of my good friends and he actually sort of effectively nominated me. He'd sent me the application form that he had started and he said, oh, you got to try out for this thing called The Apprentice. And I was like, mate, I don't have time for this rubbish. Uh, I was busy being a million dollar a year gross commission writer. So I was... Uh, you know, running with, you know, 70 plus transactions a year and, you know, up to, um, you know, three or four listings every Saturday, calling auctions as well. And then uh, he's like, no, nah, you got to try out. So I did. And there was like a six stage process, got on, made the top 12 and then uh, hence won the show, mm. which was a, was which was a great accelerator for the path that I was on. Yes. And then you joined after that Yellow Brick Road. Yes. As that was a part of the, I guess, the, uh, the, the, the process you had to go through and what yep. you won as part of that. What, what did that give you the experience in? Yeah, so the prize was working with, um, alongside Mark Burris, Order of Australia medal winner, um, and, um, you know, certainly one of Australia's greatest entrepreneurs. He, uh, he sold Wizard Home Loans for nearly half a billion dollars with Kerry Packer uh, in the 90s. So for those who are into the AFL, I remember the Wizard Cup, which was the preseason yep. cup, and uh, also they were the main sponsor for Collingwood. Um, so uh, and didn't he buy it back or, or no? Or, he oh, didn't. No. He did try and buy it back. Yeah, okay. So uh, he ended up getting sold um, to, to GE, and GE basically during the GFC had an absolute disaster of a ride, and uh, with their mortgage markets globally, uh, ironically, the, the Australian market like it's done this time around stayed reasonably strong you know the great news about australia is our biggest benefit is also our biggest detriment that we are um we are a island nation so we are mm. insulated from the, the rest of the world into some respects mm. um and you know so when that gfc happened you know was it good no it wasn't but was it as bad as other countries no it wasn't and we're seeing that right now so there's yeah. a reflection right once again you know i was watching bbc world news with my dad the other night when i uh, you know when it was 10 11 o'clock at night and um and italy has just had their thirty thousandth death mm. from COVID. uh like we've got a hundred so yeah. uh it's uh it, it means that you know i think that that you know natural isolation that we have 
has actually been one of our biggest. Um, it's worked in our favour. Yeah, it's worked in our favour. And yeah. uh, I know we were talking before this started. You know, people are getting pre-approvals again, and yeah. obviously with the uh, my brother and sister in the family business, which is Jealous Craig Real Estate, and that's uh, that's picked up again and open for inspections and uh, auctions are going to kick off strong. So um, you know, it's it's going to be exciting times, and I think we're thank God we're in the greatest country in the world, the land of opportunity, Australia. Yeah, look, there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Well, one thing I don't like about Australia is being so far away from everywhere because we all three of us love, love traveling, travel. love love it's going places. But it's twelve hours yeah. or it's fifteen hours. Yeah. That's the only one thing. But apart from that, geez, we're lucky. Yeah, we are. We yeah, are. It's, it's you know, and uh, I think that's. I think you know we saw. Uh, Australia go through that 91, 92, what, you know, Paul Keating, the Prime Minister at the time, thought was, you know, or said was the recession we needed to have. And um, I think we, we learnt a lot of lessons about how to manage our physical policy off the back of that. And I think, um, you know, when, when the dot-com bust happened in 2000 and then the GFC happened in 2009, mm. um, and now with COVID, I think we, we, we're smarter to understand what are the metrics that stimulate an economy. Yep. Mm. And, um, you know, you need to utilise lies not just interest rates but rather policy as well yes and uh, I think you know we've got a I'm, I'm not here to talk politics or religion but I think I think the, the government's done a good job whether you whoever you vote for you've yeah. got to admit they've done a, a, a good job getting through this and I think we're at the back end of it now and I, I'm looking forward to this great period of uh, prosperity and a bit of a recalibration for Australia which is understanding that we probably need to get back to some of the things we used to be good at you know a bit of manufacturing a bit mm. of um, you know larger projects um you know, I was listening to an interview on uh, on the ABC the other day with Anthony Alab- uh, Anthony. It's about to say Al- 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 You're not. You're not going to be my opposition leader when one I go day. One day. Okay, don't worry. <laughs> Um, and uh, look, you know, I, I, I didn't agree, so, you know, completely with a number, couple of things he said, but he did talk about, you know, Australia getting back to, you know, working on large projects, internal um, projects, and, and skilling up, you know, young Australians to be able to take advantage. Is that, of that as opposed to letting international companies run the large projects? Or yeah, so I, I think one that two that you know it, it brings a, about a bit of sovereignty. So like I, you know, you look at the Snowy Mountain uh, project that was a, a really beautiful beautiful project that you know brought a lot of new Australians to Australia um, but it is something that we should be very proud of you know that, you know how many decades later and it's still um, in in mm. commission it's still working well it, it produces a lot of um, energy for you know a large portion of Victoria I think all the way up to South Australia so you know there are certainly large projects that we should look to bring back and, and start working on in Australia number one and number two bring back a bit of manufacturing I say you know mm. there's this there you know some strong you know Australian-born young men and women that want to get their hands dirty, but we've basically, you know, seen it as such a thing that we send a lot of our manufacturing overseas for the cheap option. For the cheap option, and you know, but the thing is, a lot of it, you know, that that uh, great Australian um, sovereignty is, is leaving the country. And the funny thing is, we sell iron ore to China and then we buy it back from them. So that's <laughs> crazy. It's just crazy. So um, you know, I think there needs to be a balance between the two and uh, and I think this has been the, the culture shock that we probably needed and you know I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out the back of it yeah great so um, so tell us a bit more about I guess the entourage what you're doing now yep. and how you're navigating through COVID yeah great so um, obviously 
you guys were alumni of the Entourage, so that was fantastic. So you've, you've, you've seen sort of some of the work that we've done over the years and, and have frequented some of the events. And I think, um, you know, Jack Delos is our CEO and, and uh, founder. Uh, I was uh, one of the original shareholders and investors 10 years ago when we started the business. Um, what we've tried to do there is create uh, probably three pillars. One is uh, education. So we've got a, you know, online and physical education uh, nationally. So we do um, state-by-state events and then we do uh, national workshops out of our Entrepreneur Development Centre in Sydney. Um, the second pillar is uh, accountability and uh, coaching and, and uh, advisory um, with our members. And then last but not least, um, a community so uh, probably the, the hardest part people have gone through in this isolation is mm. just not being able to surround themselves with with strong um like-minded people and the interesting thing is uh you know i'm not going to mention names but a number of people that have joined recently is um because they're sitting at home with their wife or their husband or life partner and they've just realized for the first time because they've actually had to practice that present moment awareness with them how negative that life partner or, be, or husband or wife can be mm. yeah. and they're like i really need to be around other people like me you know i've been married 20 years i'm not going to leave my husband or, or wife because of it or partner because of it um so what what can i do and i said to them well look this is your opportunity to leverage those contacts and leverage um, the relationships that you forge um, and so we're really really proud of that elite community um, they're very active online um, they're very active when we do run our face-to-face and, and uh, um, people facing events and then last but not least we, we have a number of retreats a year that we run uh, that are that are family friendly people can bring their, their husbands wives life partners business partners children um, but it gives them an opportunity to really immerse themselves in uh, the beauty of their business and really get back to Entrepreneurialism. One of our most recent members was someone who worked at Qantas for 22 years, you know, mm. and he's had an idea that he's worked on for the last three, four years, but this coronavirus has forced him to actually go, okay, shit, you know, I've got to do something. I've got to be the captain of my own fate and the master of my own destiny. If I don't do that, then I'm really going to be holding, being held to ransom by uh, corporate Australia. Like Qantas is an amazing company and yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a, a, a loyal Qantas customer, but the reality is I wouldn't want to be relying on anyone else anymore to be uh, to determine my future how have you gone with because when i did the uh scalable and saleable, saleable course yep. which is the, the one of the older yes um, programs before its mutation to what it is today well, a lot of the uh, course was delivered online um but then obviously we had the workshops every six weeks up, yes. in, up in sydney how are you doing that now during this covid period are you still doing yeah. Workshops? Yeah, it was it was a great, great question. So we still run 34 workshops a year. Um, and it was just interesting before we started, I was speaking to some of your team here about the fact that, um, you know, COVID's been a positive for us because it's actually opened us up to a market that um, generally wouldn't look at Zoom as mm-hmm. an option. And uh, Zoom wasn't uh, something they were comfortable with doing. But now um, Zoom's gone, you know, because of Zoom, we've got a whole market that have, you know, started speaking to their family and friends on Zoom. So when we say, we're running a workshop on Zoom, it's like become second nature. Mm-hmm. So where we, we always had a bit of resistance from some people that didn't want, and look, you know what, putting all the cards on the table, I was one of them. You know, if you'd said to me eight weeks ago that I'd be sitting there doing, you know, four, five, six, seven Zooms a day, and I'd be running, you know, all day workshops with Andrew Morello and Jack Delosa and, you know, Heather Porter and, and um, you know, Peter Liston on, uh, on, on Zoom, I would have said, no, you're crazy. I would have said, no way you're going to get me doing that because I'm such a people's person, as you guys know. Um, you don't even know how to use your computer. I, I don't, I don't, say, but I do now. Give us a rundown of your, uh, your, your really expansive knowledge of Zoom now. You actually well, set then, it up on your now, own, don't now, you? Now I do. I do set it up on my own. So it used to work like if I had a Zoom, uh, my business manager, Leonardo, would 
would have to come in, set up my laptop, get someone connected on Zoom. I would sit in front of the computer, talk to him, and then I'd get up and he'd have to wrap it all up. Um, and some people might think I was joking, but I am deadly serious. That, that was my, my knowledge of Zoom eight weeks ago. And now uh, I'm the guy on a Zoom conference with 150 people watching, telling them how to mute themselves <laughs> and how to go to speak of you and uh, how to how to you know log on and do a Facebook Live off your Zoom. So... Uh, you, you know, that, that's what COVID's done. It, it's forced us to step outside our comfort zone to reach our full potential and not waste our precious life. Yeah, beautiful. Um, what's next for the entourage? Do you have, obviously, it's obviously an ever-evolving company. Yeah, so obviously um, Zoom's allowed us to, to really expand internationally already. Um, Jack and I have got visions and aspirations of, of physically um, expanding and, and doing sort of physical delivery. Um, you know, we're looking at what our best options are right now. We do have some full, um, full-fledged just online programs and they've been one of the motivations for setting up those online programs, they're called On Demand, uh, was to start um, spending some money on sort of um, testing the markets and product to market fit into, you know, Singapore, into, you know, America, so Los Angeles or New York would probably be a key market for us um, and then London as well. So, We've started starting to fi- we've started feeling out some of those international markets, and we hope you know by the time the the COVID pandemic is you know well and truly over in in 12, 18, 24 months time, we'll be ready to fully expand properly, not just digitally but physically as well. Yeah, and uh, last one on the uh, on the entourage, the retreats. Did you yeah, one in I saw there was one in Hawaii. It looked pretty wicked. We, we've had we've had we've gone everywhere. Um, but we we even had a Vegas one once. I don't know. If that we, would not go. I well don't know me. if Jackson <laughs> let us we'll go back to, to Vegas. We'll come to that one. Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay, there we go. Yeah. Here we go. Um, uh, so the last one that we did overseas was Fiji, um, and we had we actually supposed to be in New Caledonia right now. So Ooh. that obviously got cancelled. Uh, we had we had uh, over a hundred members already registered for that. Um, um, and those those are great. We do a lot of work around consciousness training, overcoming limited beliefs. Um, we, we bring in sort of uh, meditation coaches. We bring in yoga instructors. There's a running club, which is good for you, Shawnee. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Sean just ran 100 kilometres last week. I don't know how he does it, but he ran yes. 100 kilometres. You're He's a crazy normal. man. He's not normal. Not no. normal. But when I said to a friend of mine, I said, oh, I've got this mate, Sean. You know, we, we often have a good time together when we, you know, when we go out and he likes to have a bit of a drink and a party and have a good time. And I said, he ran 100Ks last week. And she goes to me, oh, you, you know why? I, I said, I don't know how he does it. And she goes, you of all people should know. Like I did the Kokoda trial, obviously I'm not a, not a slim, you know, ultra, ultra, ultraly fit guy. And she's like, it's exactly the same. Like, you know, it's, it's all mental, it's you know? Mindset, yeah. yeah. Um, t- tell us about that, Sean, actually. Oh, fuck. Yeah, um, <laughs> just so, about so I go to him, how was the 100Ks? He goes, great to do, never do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which no, is what so I said about Kokoda, but, you know, I probably will do it again one day. And that's it. You sort of get that, that moment afterwards where you where you, where you really beat up by it. But um, to bring it back a couple of steps, so there was four of us that signed up for the yeah. Ultra Trail Australia, which yeah. is a 100-kilometre uh, trail run through the Blue Mountains. Yes. I'd never been to the Blue Mountains before. Yep. I was looking for something to do after I did the marathon last year in yep. Melbourne. Um, so I thought, what a way I can go and run through the Blue Mountains, get to places you can't get to by car, yep. and then I'll be able to also, you know, train for the event, keep fit over summer, which doesn't often happen. Yep. Um, that got cancelled because of COVID, yep. and the blokes that we were doing it with were only four or five weeks out from finishing the training. So we were running down, we we're just going through Elwood. We were doing like a thirty-kilometer training run that day. We got to like the twenty-first kilometer. My mate gets a phone, uh, gets a message or email on his watch, coming through and says UTA one hundred's been cancelled. So we all just stopped in our tracks. 
Turned around, went home. We all went home and uh, cracked our commiseration uh, bottles of wine and beers. And then yeah. we all got on the text that day and said, fuck it, let's just continue the training. Let's finish it off and let's go do the run on our own yeah. on the weekend before it was meant to be. And we'll just we'll just run from uh, the Spirit of Tasmania in Port Melbourne and we'll run out to Portsea where the road ends. And that's exactly 100 kilometres wow. all the way along the beach. So. Was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good day, but <clears throat> I felt pretty beat up. Like, it was the next couple of days were pretty challenging. And I probably, you look great now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been nearly a week, so. Yeah, great. But, like I said, never again. It's very, it's, it, it is inspirational, mate. I, uh, I'm, it's very impressive. How many hours? 11 hours, 41 minutes. Wow. And did you guys stick together, or did you go no, your own no, pace? No, no, no. So, one of the first guys, absolute absolute beast he did it in seven hours 45 what yeah he's a he's like he's an ultra ultra athlete um i was i was blown away that he could hold that pace for that entire time on that's the crazy runs, he'd be able to do it and then there's no way he's going to be able to hold it for 100 kilometers but yeah. he proved us all wrong he just had his brother next to him on his push bike with his backpack on so he could carry all his gels and his food yeah. and his water and stuff and he just went for it and didn't stop and then there was the um one of the other guys jamie so chris was at the front then jamie was about an hour and a half ahead of me yeah I don't think he stopped either. I think he just he just kept powering along. And then I stopped for food and I stopped to fill up my bag. And then from about the 50 or 55K mark onwards, I had a mate driving beside yeah. me. So I didn't really have to stop pretty much after that period of time either. Uh, and then one other guy, Steve, was about 10 minutes behind me. So that was uh, that was our company. And then Dan, he also jumped on. Um, but he had he got crook at about 65Ks. Because all the sugar and gels yeah. and shit that it's, you drink. It can't be good inside, eat, yeah. Oh, it's fuck, It's not good yeah. for your guts, all the sugar and, and, and caffeine and, and, and did stuff. You, did you stop at the Portsy pub on the way? <laughs> it was shut. <laughs> Thankfully. Thankfully it was shut. Otherwise I wouldn't oh, have left shit, there. Oh, shit, I did it. I got three kilometres from the end of the Portsy pub and I wouldn't have moved. Take, t- take away beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I just grab a schooner on the way through this, mate. <laughs> that sounds about right. right. For sure. I would have 100% done that. And, uh, and obviously you guys drove back. Yeah, drove back that night. Yeah. I made it to work at eight thirty the next morning. You did, yeah. <laughs> he was here. He was fronted up with no beard. Oh, yeah, fresh man! Yeah, yeah. Needed a cleansing ceremony yeah, after yeah. that way. <laughs> but a shaman work, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and let's explain a bit about, about the mindset because I've got to say, Sean's got a quite resilient mindset yeah. and similar to yourself. Yeah. Um, in these times, what's some of the mindset that you've mm, had personally yeah. to, to get yourself this? Because it's, it's different for everyone. Everyone's got their own um, way they go about it. What are some of the things you're doing? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I did a session with um, Jack yesterday, actually, um, uh, on, on uh, a Zoom and Facebook Live uh, around this. We didn't even mean to go down this path, but what we actually did is, is Jack mentioned the same thing. He said, oh, you know, Morello, I've seen you, you know, we've been, you know, best mates for 10 years and we've travelled, you know, to 20 countries together and we've seen good times in business, bad times in business. And he said, You're, you've always been able to, to maintain this, this, this state of mind. And it was interesting because I get up on stage and I talk about often things like letting go of the outcome, practicing present moment awareness, embracing the uncertainty of life. And um, it's, it sounds good. And when you're making lots of money and you've got a great team around you and things are going well and, you know, my mum mum and dad are both unwell now and that wasn't happening and you didn't have all those things, it was very easy to get up and say. But now that I've been, you know, helping take care of my mum and dad and living with them during this COVID period, um, and mum's got early onset Alzheimer's and dad dad had a stroke a couple of years ago. Um, now that, you know, the business isn't, you know, just coming in the door, you have to go out and actually get your hands dirty again. And in it's been... 
it's been a real test of that mindset and it's been great because, you know, I've actually been able to personally, um, you know, show myself that I, I can do it and I do believe in it and I can stay positive through some really difficult periods. Um, and I think that sets a great example for the for other people. Um, and you've got to live by your words and you've got to, um, you know, you've got to back yourself. And uh, that's something I've been doing. But look, I, it's, it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. It's something that I've worked on for 10, 15 plus years. So, you know, people go to me, oh, I'm the, but I'm not Andrew Morello. You know, it's not, not, it's easy for you. It's not easy for me. I've just made it second nature and I've made it part of the way I live my life. So now when things do go bad or when things do get tough, I make sure I revert back to my positive mindset around letting go of the outcome, embracing the uncertainty of life and practicing that present moment awareness. Yeah, brilliant. So what can people do out there to, I guess, train themselves up to, to handle these situations because whether it be COVID, whether it be GFC, yeah. whatever it might be, they, they present every few years or whatever it is and mm. individually in their own businesses that would present with losing a contract or something like that. Yeah. What are some of the things you practice? Great question. Great question. So, and, and some of the things, sometimes when I give people this advice, it scares them off. So I don't want to scare anyone off right now because they'll yeah. be like, oh, it's not, it's not really something that I want to, I don't see myself meditating or I don't see myself journaling and things like that. Um, you, you can do it in your own style. So like, yeah. you know, um, to give you a bit of an example, when I first started meditating when I was younger, I did it in silence. Um, I actually struggle to do it in silence now and I do guided meditations. Um, so, um, you know, find the thing that works for you. So like yeah. for years, I did silent meditation because I thought that was the most powerful and I had to go and do the biggest and the best. And, you know, I really wanted to push myself when I realized it's not about being the biggest or the best. It's your own mm. personal growth journey. So meditating, um, journaling has been something saying like, and some yeah. people go, I don't really want to journal. Or I don't want anyone to read it. So, you know, what's funny. You can journal and on pieces of paper and then tear them up when you're done. And the power that that has, some people go, I don't want a record of my darkest, deepest thoughts sitting there for somebody to, to find and read. And I said, well, just burn it. And they're yeah. like, but what do you mean? What's the point in, in journaling? I said, when you start to take some of that stuff that sits in your subconscious and start to take some of that stuff that sits in your mindset and you take it out, get it onto paper or just share it with people, um, it's amazing, you know, the power that that has. It's almost um, like removing it from your it, from your. From your conscious, yeah, it is, yeah. it is, or, or at least bringing it out into your conscious, so it's not into sitting there. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then the the other thing I've done is I've started doing some work, uh, you know, with with is you know, we made a track about it for before, but some some shaman work. Um, I'm doing a, a, a breathing workshop next week. Um, so like that's the extreme side of it, but you know, someone who's sitting at home with you know who's a mum with three kids, there's no harm in once the kids go to bed instead of having a, a glass of wine, which I'm not adverse to having a glass of wine, guys. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, there's a mug on the table with some red wine in it right now. <laughs> Why do you bring a bottle of Pepper Jack for the boys? Um, uh, I didn't know well, w- w- how, how long this interview would actually go. Which direction it Which go. direction it was going to go. But um, instead of cracking open a bottle of wine on a Tuesday, why don't you try a bit of... Um, a little bit of uh, journaling or yeah. meditating. And uh, and as well, wear your heart on your sleeve. I think the biggest thing that has worked to my advantage is that I am always prepared to show my vulnerability. Um, and I, I'm a Piscean, so I'm a bit of an empath. So I've always been a little bit emotional. And it was, it's probably worked in good stead for me because I haven't tried to be um, – be someone I'm not and it's it's actually helped me also to be comfortable with who I am so I've got this concept that if you're prepared to show blood people will bleed with you especially mm. if you're big business yeah. owners um, business owners or parents you know like I think 
you know, to your children, people go, oh, I don't, you know, I speak to a lot of fathers in particular, and they go, I'm not a, I'm not a parent. I've got six goddaughters, two nieces, and one godson. Um, but I, in a previous partner relationship, I effectively had two stepsons that I, I've kept a relationship with them too. Um, we, we, I wasn't actually married to their mother, but I, you know, we, we lived together and, and obviously we, we shared a, a relationship together. Um, so I've been around enough children to understand that children really identify and connect with that vulnerability. Mm. And the funny thing is kids have a no bullshit meter So <laughs> like, uh, if, you, yeah, if you try and act like there's nothing wrong, they'll pull you up on it. They will, and they'll be like, "Shit!" And you know, and they—it's uh, because they know. It's yeah. they, they have got that that raw and unfiltered uh, perception of what mm. is actually real and what's actually working for them. So, yeah, yeah good. Yeah. Um, and so in these times, it's obviously challenging for a lot of people and a lot of people in certain industries compared to others. Yes. Being with the entourage and and I, I really find entrepreneurship shines in these times. Yes. Now we've got a, a dear friend of ours, uh, Dory Kodahi, that we all know. Yes. That we uh, and and I speak to him fairly regularly, and he tells me about what he's pivoted into and changed his business model to adapt. What are you finding some business uh, owners and and some business leaders are doing in these times, and that other people can take advantage of trying to do things differently right now? Yeah. I um I work as soon as this sort of kicked in to gear we did a lot of um you know um leadership training within our 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 company so within the entourage we got everyone in pretty quick before we went into sort of isolation and and worked on what we called the um you know a bit of a six-point checklist um for things that um owners of businesses should be focusing on during COVID-19 um so number one we talked about uh having a cash flow forecast so one of the biggest mistakes we've seen with um business owners is them not actually knowing what their cash flow was, um, even to the point where this is for the first time ever, a lot of them have been so busy on sa- on marketing and sales that they never really sat down and focused on finance. Understand the business. Yeah, understand. Well, a lot of, and, and look, don't feel bad because there's a lot of people who can't read a and out, you know, like yeah. they just see a whole bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet and, and they don't know where to start with it. So number one is have a cash flow forecast. Number two is focus on your bandwidth, on your marketing, sales and other revenue generating activities. So um, obviously go back to the, the the important stuff so you know we do a lot of work on taking people from technician to entrepreneur in the entourage mm. um, the biggest advice I've had to give people is go back to um, you know revenue generating activity uh, dollar productive activity um, and they go oh yeah but that's me going back to being technician I said well it's a bit of all hands on deck right now if you, mm-hmm. want, to, if you want to have a business to go back to in a couple of months time <laughs> yeah. you got to get your hands dirty again <laughs> yeah. if it means you got to go write a home loan or yeah. you know I've seen my brother you know I was talking to my brother the other day He's, he was there doing a 11.30pm negotiation for a a penthouse in Mooney Ponds that they're selling and he was going back and forth, back and forth with the mm-hmm. owner and the purchaser, going to their houses and just sitting with them like old school social distancing, old school, yeah. correct? Well, once upon a time, you you know, the market was good so you, you really didn't have to, you know, know correct, you knew, like, you know, you, you worked for it but you sort of, you know, you could leave them with the offer and go back to them the next day and now he goes, you got an offer, you're working it, you know, so if the owner comes, if the purchaser comes in at, you know, if they, they wanted two million bucks and purchases come in at one six and you get them up to one eight, you don't want to leave it like there's cooling off still it applies but you don't want to leave something for three or four days now or overnight because it might you know you might miss the opportunity to get it over the line number three is uh diversifying revenue streams so one of the first things and, and one of the most beautiful things i've seen with a lot of businesses that we work with in the entourage is the fact that they've been really good at um, diversifying what their you know product to market fit is um, what their service is and what their their, their, um, their product is, and so you know what's what's been really really important 
He's being able to pivot quickly. Uh, we work with a lot of people in F and B. Uh, we work with a group called Milky Lane, you know, which is one of uh, Australia's large sort of private, um, you know, high end gluttonous burger sort of companies and they've got 11 stores now they'll have 15 probably by the end of the year so they're still selling franchises because they have such an amazing business um, but they had to pivot very very quickly and uh, in order to diversify that revenue stream into delivery and understanding how that works and takeaway correct um, and interestingly enough some of their stores are more are more um, you know profitable than they were before because mm-hmm. they, they do have, they did have a lot of overheads. Um, the next one is seek advice and be in regular contact with your coach, mentor, and business advisors. So I was saying to you guys before that you know the entourage we, we've been getting two or three new members joining a day in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's in our uh, on demand program, our accelerate program, or our elevate program. Amazing. Um, yeah. So you know, and you, I think I just showed you. You know, we were there talking, and they come through as alerts on my phone, so I get to see sort of the new members, and we we celebrate you know somebody taking an active interest and an active stance in in engaging great mentors advisors and coaches mm. uh, and success coaches in order to take themselves to the next level number one and two reaching out and getting the right expertise so that that was number four number five is manage minimize uh mitigate unnecessary expenses so you know yeah. For the first time, people are actually realising shit. I really don't need to spend X, Y, and Z on on, on that. Um, I can do it a lot more efficiently and a lot more effectively. Um, we've got some really great mentors and coaches and success coaches and advisors in the entourage that are experts in this field. Um, there's a lady named Kate Kemp who sits on our uh, expert panel. We've got 27 experts as part of your membership, and it was funny. She is getting on a daily basis, you know, two or three in the in the thousand member. Um, group uh, Facebook page she's getting you know two or three a day people just okay thanks to Kate Kemp for this thanks for the, to Kate yeah. Kemp for that because she's been able to recognise you know just some some quick wins for people to save on expenses and last but not least uh, get creative with your product and or service delivery so um, you know obviously being prepared to say, okay, this is how I, I was in touch with my clients or my customers beforehand. Um, can I do it on Zoom now? You know, there's a mm. lot. You know, we're delivering you know ninety nine percent of our stuff on Zoom. Uh, can I? Can you know? I look at delivering a product in a different way, shape, or form. So, one of the co- companies we're working with is called the Mac and Cheese Project Melbourne, and they originally did Mac and Cheese Bites and Mac and Cheese Donuts. It was a creation that he came up with. It was an ex fine dining restaurant uh, restaurateur. That'd be nice. They are. They are beautiful. You got to check it out, Mac and Cheese Project. Um, tell Aaron, I'll see you. We're looked after the Morello special. Um, but he, he's he's then pivoted and started making um, you know traditional Mac and Cheese bake trays. Uh, and then has done a number of work, uh, a number of, uh, you know, home I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's beautiful. And, you know, he's got, it's created a bit of a following now. So when it went, look, he does have, he did have contracts like, um, like, you know, the VRC, he does, you know, the birdcage at the VRC, he does the Caulfield race course. Uh, he does, he was doing the Formula One before it was cancelled. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so, um, you know, so he, he has those contracts, but he, he's, he could have, could have sat there and been miserable and gone, shit, you know, mm. what a disaster. But instead he pivoted his product and was able to stay sustainable. So, um, they're the top six. And if anyone wants to see more of those, they can feel free to log on to my Instagram at Andrew Morello on Instagram and they can scroll down and see some of the hot tips that I've put on there. 
We'll share those in the podcast notes as well. Yep. Um, one of the one of the projects that you work on, which I mentioned, was Project Gen Z. Yes. Um, this is probably the, one of the most interesting things that you've uh, that you've done, and I've, I'm just um, that's that's a big call for you to say. You I'm seeing you do a lot of I'm seeing you do a lot of things. This just depends what time of day. This, <laughs> is, this is the most interesting thing I see you do during the day. Anyway, um, but mate, um, Cambodia. Yes. Um, I guess what give us a rundown of what the project is, and then yes. I guess uh, follow up with why Cambodia. Yes. Yeah, so I. I met an amazing woman who's one of my spiritual and female matriarchal mentors. So I try and surround myself constantly with um, uh, different kinds of mentors, business mentors, uh, mindset mentors, and, and also, you know, uh, female matriarchal uh, spiritual mentors. And Geraldine Cox, Order of Australian Medal winner, is certainly one of those. Um, she's an amazing woman that I had a chance to meet uh, coming on six years ago. And she, uh, she once I met her, I realised that, uh, that, you know, I was destined... And, um, you know, I had a calling through another really good, uh, strong female friend of mine, Liz Volby, uh, previously Liz um, Atkinson, is some of you might have seen her speak before. Um, so she, she actually ended up marrying a friend of mine, Jessie Volby, that's how she got her new name. But uh, she, she goes, oh, I've got this vision that I want to take entrepreneurs from all around the world over to Cambodia and work with... Um, you know, kids that were rescued from child prostitution and begging circles, uh, and teach them entrepreneurialism. Mm. And I went, "Wow, yeah, that's dude. a that's a big goal." Mm. And she's like, "Are you up for it?" And I said, "Fucking oath." If anyone um, is, that's be correct. You. Yeah. So for the last five six years, we've been one of the largest financial contributors to uh, Sunrise Village, Cambodia. And that's Geraldine awesome. Cox, who's an Australian lady who's lived in Cambodia for twenty seven years and rescued thousands and thousands of children from absolutely you know terrible and heartbreaking mm. circumstances. Uh, she was on Current Affair a couple of weeks ago, and uh, literally overnight we raised $350,000 off the back well of the done. Current Affair show. Yep. Um, so Current Affair does do good things as does well. Does every now and then. <laughs> I was actually saying, ironically, I was watching it from my parents' lounge room, and I was watching it with my mother and father, and I was... Not to have a go at Current Affair. I apologise, Current Affair, but I was like, shit, they've turned into American television, haven't yeah. they? Like everything yeah, right up until everything right up until they did Geraldine Cox. I was like, because I hadn't watched Current Affair in so many years, and I, I realised, you know, they they were chasing a guy down the street. I was like, <laughs> for oh, God, Reno I, know, I, I was like, shit, have we really? T- Current Affair was really good once upon a time. It was. Wasn't it was like it going a mini up? version of sixty minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, apart from the Geraldine Cox thing, which was fantastic, and they did a great job of it. They interviewed her over in Cambodia and they showed footage they've been interviewed Channel 9's been interviewing her for the last 27 years so they had footage of her from 27 years ago all the way to her speaking at the United Nations to her you know speaking to you know world leaders at the G8s and things like mm. that and um, you know I'm glad, I was literally on the phone with her ironically I didn't even know we were going to talk about this just before I got here because on Saturday we're doing a thing on Facebook Live called Sunsets for Sunrise so I've got some big music producers out of Sydney some friends of mine that own Unique uh, Music uh, which is a a production house for uh, for sort of uh, electronic music. They're going to be performing, and we're going to be raising money for it. And then also, I've got another friend of mine who's got a, a podcast with uh, you know a few hundred thousand followers who wants to interview her too. So I organised that for yeah. her. Awesome. Um, yeah, and uh, when we've got a few hundred thousand followers, we'll. Well, I'm sure we could organise <laughs> anything, anything to help. She would. She'd probably be happy to do it. And, and she's she's more than just a a friend now. She's like a second mother to me. Mm. And especially with my mum not being well, Geraldine's been there since that journey began when my mum was diagnosed, you know, four or five years ago with early onset Alzheimer's. So Geraldine has effectively become a second mum and. 
Uh, we have a really good time and I feel like I can talk to her about anything. And probably the beauty of her is she's had a very colourful life, so she really doesn't judge anyone. And, and no. Then, no, correct. Yeah. So when, when she hears the craziness of the things that I get up to, yeah. she's uh, she's pretty at peace with it. But um, we are giving them a hand up rather than a hand out. And uh, we work with thousands of kids over there now. And we're, we're actually developing out an online program through Project Gen Z. If anyone wants to check that out, they can Google that. Um, and uh, we raise money through that portal too. It's a social enterprise. So uh, pretty much there's donations that go directly to the orphanage. And then mm. uh, we basically have a team of people delivering programs. And, and that basically they're, they're the only ones who get paid. And uh, we're trying to to do it as a social. None of us on the board are being paid. And obviously we don't get paid to go over to Cambodia. So that's all volunteer work that we do um, and uh, it's something that I, I, I'm very passionate about now and ironically I'd love to actually purchase some property over in uh, CM Reap um, and, and eventually move semi-retired to Cambodia one day I just think it's you know everyone says Bali or Thailand or you know or Europe and I just felt like you know I've been to 40 countries and, and whenever I get to CM Reap, Reap I just really find where I belong and yeah, I, it, feels, it feels like home yeah what, and you go over once a year. What month is that? Well, once a year, generally October. So yeah. we don't know, obviously, if yeah, this year's going to happen. 50. Yeah, it's it's probably 50-50 right now. It was booked for October, but it's probably 50-50. So we might do it maybe early next year. Yep. Um, but definitely, look, if you're interested, log on to the website, Project Gen Z, and, uh, and just register your details with our team, and they can keep you posted on when we're doing the next uh, next trip over there. You don't have to be an entrepreneur to come. Um, you know, obviously, most of the people that come are either entrepreneurs or in the business world, but we've had some amazing people that have just, you know, got a, a yearning and a want to, to go and contribute to the universe, and uh, they've seen this as a great opportunity for them to do so. Um, one uh, one of the other um, foundations that you sit on the board of is Seed Foundation. Yes. Yeah. Um, give us a quick rundown on uh, on Seed Foundation. Yeah. That's another interesting one. So I've been working with Seed Foundation for the last two to three years now. Um, we have raised probably close to $3 million. We actually have raised $2.5 million just through the Ian Potter Foundation. So I've got to do a big shout out to um, Ian Potter. So we went through a selection process, um, which they help fund um, uh, health education programs in uh, Indigenous uh, prone areas and uh, for Indigenous students. Um, What we've done is, look, the reality is, to put it bluntly, we pretty much fucked the, the indigenous situation mm, in Australia. Um, you know, I don't think anyone did it on purpose. I think they did it more because they thought they knew what was right, but it wasn't necessarily right. And so what we've done is we've made a conscious decision to probably stop trying to work with the adults because they've probably, you know, that, that, set, that, in their ways. set in their ways and that, that ship has sailed. So what we did is we've tried to break the cycle now. We're working with kids in high school, Indigenous kids in high school. We're providing them with a certificate too in healthcare, education. Um, and I did the Kokoda Trail a couple of years ago to raise uh, over 300 grand um, to, um, to to provide more of this education mm. nationally um, in remote areas like Palm Island off the coast of Townsville, uh, East Arnoland and, and some other remote Indigenous areas. And some of the kids we work with We've now brought them to – we've got relationships with a number of the universities to then provide further education for mm. them. And then uh, we've got some uh, relationships with some of the uh, Indigenous government-funded and private privately-funded groups where we then provide them with accommodation. But some of the kids that we're bringing to see these universities have never left – 
their uh, their communities. Mm. So uh, you can imagine they've never been to the gold. Like they've lived in on on landlocked areas in the you know remote communities, and we've taken them to the Gold Coast oh. of all places <laughs> uh, to go visit Griffith University, and they're like shit. And I'm thinking to myself, are we going to be able to leave these kids alone? So <laughs> um, so we we do put them in in a couldn't even leave me alone. Then. Correct, yeah. is my point. <laughs> so we do leave that we do put them into a, a group housing situation where we do have a even once they're eighteen a sort of someone managing them a little bit and helping with that integration. Um, but we've had some of them now going to dentistry, going to becoming doctors. A lot of them have become nurses. So the whole idea is they'll go back to their communities and break that cycle of what they were going through. Like if you go to those communities, everyone's got um, posters up of an NRL footballer or an AFL footballer um, and they idolise them. Now they've got a less than 1% chance, even lower than that 0.1% chance of becoming a A-grade AFL footballer or NRL player. But, it, you know, there's a there's a 10% chance that could become a doctor like you know anyone can become a doctor really if you if you really wanted to knuckle down and, and study, study hard yeah. so you know why aren't we putting posters of doctors up in these communities and mm. saying this is what you should be shooting this is for a pathway. you're going to make the same amount of money and you're going to change people's lives um, but rather we, we keep trying to push you know a sporting agenda yeah. in Australia where there is a real opportunity for them to do so much so much more and have some th- something so much more rewarding and going into the health sector so mm. that's uh, that's what we're doing check it out Seed Foundation Australia. Um, I sit on the board for that. Uh, it's headed up by a guy named Michael Gladow, who's based out in um, up in Townsville. Uh, and uh, we've got some exciting things happening over the next 12 to 18 months. Please make sure you check it out. Lovely. Andrew, thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, Legend. Thank you for having and, me, guys. And, and you're an inspi- inspiration for many out there, I'm sure. Thank you very much. 100%. And uh, we've had a good time, boys, over the last sort of 10 plus years now. So I'm yeah. looking forward to the uh, next 10 years and I look forward to uh, taking you guys on a little secret retreat with a shaman or two and uh, opening your eyes to a whole new world. for it. We're going to have to lock it in. <laughs> Done. Beautiful. All thanks the best, very much. Thanks.